Hello once again. I want to welcome you to the third installment of the Living the Whole Christian Life. This is Dr. Jim Schrader, and I hope all of you are doing well as you're listening to me today. I'm excited to come back to you to continue to talk about what it really means to live a whole Christian life. Last week, we talked about three lives that we often find ourselves as a part of that we don't necessarily want to live. What I described last week was the chronically anxious life, where you feel often anxious over things that even minor things in your lives. I described what I called the rutted life. The rutted life is the sense of just kind of being stuck in a rut. Day in and day out, you do the same kinds of things, but you never feel really the joy that you want to do sustained in our life and the curiosity and just the sense of vitality. The third life was the disconnected life, and that's the life where you feel as if many aspects of your life are just parts of your being, but really not integrated into one whole way. So as we come today and we begin to enter into what does it mean to live a whole Christian life, we start with this idea of holiness with a WH. And really to begin the idea, I, I want to start with a few basic premises. And, and so as I start with these premises, you may find yourself not necessarily agreeable or disagreeable, but these are some really basic frameworks to work from as we begin to build this whole Christian life. So the first premise is this. Many of us from a young age, and even if you don't consider yourself religious, you've probably heard this before, there's that famous line in the Bible that we are made in the image and likeness of God. It's a powerful scriptural reference. What does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? I mean, theologians and, and laypersons alike have probably debated this for centuries and millennium. But one of the first things we have to consider is that if we truly are made in the image and likeness of God, in some ways it's self-evident that this applies to our whole self, not just the spiritual religious dimension, right? Not just, just part of ourselves. If you think of any kind of creator who creates something, that whole thing, whether it's a whole piece of artwork or, you know, it's a sculpted being or whatever it is, that creator, their image is translated into the whole piece, right? And so as we're made in the image of likeness of God, it only makes sense that it applies to our whole self, not just aspects of who we are. The second premise, as we begin this exploration of what it means to live a whole Christian life, is that, you know, we are one being, but we're composed of many different parts. So each part serves a function, but all parts are interdependent on the other parts in the body. Take something as seemingly simple, although nothing's simple in our body, it's actually quite extraordinary, but something as simple as the fingers on your hand. Certainly the fingers are used for many different things, whether it's grasping or eating or writing. There's just numerous functions that we just don't even consider each day that our fingers play out with. But in order for our fingers to work, so must our arms work. So must the veins run through just the fingers themselves, the nerves coming from our brain. The bones themselves are part of a larger structural framework. And so for the fingers themselves to do the job that they must do, so many other aspects of our body have to be working also. And so we are composed of many parts, but we're really all one body, right? All one being. And so the full expression of each part can occur without the cooperation, without being dependent on the other parts. And in many ways, you know, we'll take this even beyond our bodies, right? When you think of our communities, we are individuals in our communities, but 
really we depend on each other in many ways for the community itself to be full and expression. And so I think the body is a beautiful example of often what occurs, again, not perfectly, not without challenges, but occurs on a larger scale throughout our communities and even our nationalities and our world. So all parts have the ability, just like all people have the ability to affect others, but they're all part of one being. And that's such a key idea that we have to embrace in many ways to really understand what it means to be holy, holy as in whole. The third framework of living a whole Christian life is the idea that a person's happiness, health, harmony, and ultimately their pursuit of holiness depends on how the parts of who they are really become the being that honors God's design and his image for us, right? So we, so we start with the idea that we're creating the image and likeness of God. We then go on to the idea that we are many parts of one body. But this third premise really pulls this together. In order for us to truly pursue a called life, a whole Christian life, all of these parts, ultimately being one being, is that we are pursuing not just what God's call for us is, but we're also honoring God's design. And we're going to talk about this so much throughout the year. What do I mean by God's design in our body? You know, what do I mean about the infinite number of ways that God has designed that how we eat affects so many different things in our functioning, how we sleep and how we communicate. It's, it's remarkable. And honestly, it's just the more I've gotten into this, the more fascinated I've become with how the design of our minds and body really correspond to overall, not just what we're called to do, but how we're called to really live out this beautiful gift that God gives us. And some of you listening may say, well, I've got so many things going wrong with my mind and body. I'm not sure if I would describe it as a beautiful gift. And, and I get that. I understand that many times we feel broken down. You know, we feel just demoralized because what we want to happen doesn't happen. And yet, even in this despondency, you recognize that when lots of things are going wrong, there's actually still a lot of things going right. And even the body itself, even in its imperfections, is just a remarkable thing recreated so many times over. There's an interesting statistic about this, that if you took all of the cells, all the trillion of cells in the body, and you took all the DNA in each of those cells, and you unwound the DNA each nucleus of each cell having DNA that's about six feet long, if unwound completely. And you unwound all of that, and you stretched it out as far as you could, that all the DNA in our body would get us to the sun and back almost a hundred times. And that is one of just the most amazing, amazing realities. In each human body, we find ourselves just remarkably infinite in ways that we couldn't imagine. The fourth premise as we go forward with living a whole Christian life is that as our being is composed of many parts, these parts are also involved and in many ways complicit in what I call the four dimensions of our being. These dimensions I'm going to speak of are really present even before we're born. That We see evidence from scientific studies, and I'll explain a little bit more about that. All of these dimensions are already showing themselves very clearly before we're even enter into this earth. And so some may quibble with my kind of the way I categorize these dimensions, and that's not really a big deal here. We certainly can have a little difference of opinion. But the four primary dimensions I'm speaking of, the first is the social dimension. There's some really amazing research that when children are in utero, 
before they're ever born, even like six to seven months gestation, that a child can already tell the difference between his mother, his or her mother, and others that he or she hears. And the way we know this is that children in in the womb will soothe differently when they hear the mother's voice than when they hear someone else. Um, We are social beings even before we're born. And certainly after we're born, and even from the earliest ages, I think of all of, you know, have eight kids. And one of the most remarkable things about seeing all those kids grow up is that as they become, even those first few months, more and more social, you see the eye contact emerge and you see this, the facial expressions emerge. And you see so many different social aspects that occur even before they have a single word to say. I, I think that being a pediatric psychologist and a father of eight, I can't help but be astounded by how remarkably social our kids are by the age of one year. The things that they do, the ways they reciprocate, there's a a term that we often describe as joint attention that emerges even in the first year of life very much for most kids. And joint attention is the idea that kids begin to look at things in their environment. Um, They're very curious about that. And in looking at things in their environment, they will often what we call reference. They'll look back at a caregiver and not necessarily because they need something or they're scared, but because they're so curious and interested in what they see that they want that caregiver to share in their enjoyment. It's a beautiful and purely social act with joint attention that it becomes this triangle of communication. And so we see that social dimension emerge early on. And with our faith, and we think about the social dimension, I talk about the idea that the social dimension is like the conduit. You think of conduit in the electrical form. Conduit from one person to another. You can't see those words travel. You can't see the sound travel or the eye contact literally travel from one individual to the next, but it is traveling. There is travel that occurs between that space to communicate something that's far greater than the point itself seems to be or the word it is. And so the social dimension is the conduit form of who we are. It's the conduit there, the electrical, the electricity. The second core dimension is the psychological dimension. And this is where some people might quibble about how I've categorized this. But what I include here in the psychological dimension, it is our emotional expression and our intellectual expression, along with all the psychological aspects of who we are. And so this is an incredibly complex area. I think that many times people are probably most intimidated by the psychological dimension. And even as a psychologist myself, I will acknowledge that there's so much unseen and even unknown, although science has uncovered a lot, but we no doubt are psychological beings. Think about the earliest of age. Again, you know, we see that kids in utero can already begin to feel pain and that earliest, those early few months, kids cry for different reasons, whether they're hungry or they're scared, or again, they're in pain. And so from the psychological dimension, we talk about the consciousness, right? The social side was the conduit. But the psychological side is the consciousness. And although, of course, a lot of what we do is the consciousness, we are conscious of our maybe actions and intent. There's the whole other side of the psychological dimension, which is the unconscious form. The third dimension is the physical dimension. I think this is the one that's probably most readily available for all of us. We could think of, you know, again, from the first few days after conception, children in the womb are their physical beings already, and they're growing in many ways. And so the physical dimension is certainly the concrete form of our life, right? It's what we can see and feel and touch and hear. I mean, all those senses, it's how we relate to our environment and 
just miraculous and amazing ways. The sensory organs uh, and capacity of human beings are remarkable. And we are very physical beings, whether it's through what we eat, through you know what we touch, so much of everything we experience in this way. And so again, the physical dimension is the concrete form. It's the very evident form of who we are. And then finally, as I mentioned before, as Pierre Chardin once said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And I say that with the understanding that, again, no matter where you're coming from, from your spiritual religious background, we know that we all transcend what we can see and study. You know, Descartes once said, I, I think, therefore I am. We can't measure thoughts. We, we can see the brain activity occurring, but we cannot measure thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And so even if you don't see yourself as particularly spiritual religious, the reality is that so much of what we do and experience is transcendent. It goes beyond the physical overlay. It goes beyond even socially what we can see. But we are, no doubt, spiritual beings in so many ways. And so the spiritual being, the idea of that is that's really the consubstantial form. And when I speak of the consubstantial form, I'm speaking of the essence of divinity. But what a remarkable thing. We are composed of many parts, but we express ourselves primarily in these four core dimensions. The social dimension, a la the conduit form. The psychological dimension, or the conscious form. The physical dimension, or the concrete form. And again, the spiritual dimension, or the consubstantial form. So all are present early on. All are are part of who we are. And the interesting thing is that all affect each other. Now, they can do this positively or negatively, but there's actually an infinite number of ways that one dimension one expression can affect another. Let me give you a few examples of this. We're finding in the last decade that what we eat has a significant effect on brain development. And actually, by having an effect on brain development, it has an effect on psychological functioning. So for example, we've seen increased studies that indicate a diet high in processed food is directly connected to increased anxiety and behavioral problems in kids and adults. So you think about that, the diet itself being a very physical form manifests itself into a psychological way. As another example, we know that social support decreases depression. That is one of the best ways to improve mood overall. So by social support, of course, we're talking about the social dimension here, but has a direct impact on the psychological expression of who we are. Another example that we've seen repeatedly in scientific studies is that A strong relationship with God or a higher power significantly reduces the likelihood of drug use and suicidality, among many other negative variables. So here we see that that spiritual dimension, that that deeply spiritual idea, overlays and, and really impacts our psychological functioning, and actually, and ultimately, our physical functioning. And I'll end today with a really one of the most fascinating examples of how one dimension can affect the other. And that is, there's actually a condition that exists, rather rare, but it's been well documented, that a woman can go through an entire pregnancy, all the way from the early stages of gestation, all the physical transformations on the outside, and even go through a delivery and have never had a fetus, never had a child in the womb in the first place. You may ask yourself, how is that possible? What's going on there? 
Well, in this situation, what we see often in experience of trauma or significant psychological difficulties, whatever is occurring there psychologically actually transforms this woman's body in a way that creates a pregnancy that was never there. And I think that's one of the most dramatic examples that I could ever provide about how one dimension, in this case, the psychological dimension, has tremendous impact on the physical dimension. So as we finish off our podcast for today, we really come back to those basic premises that we are made, number one, in the image and likeness of God. And it's self-evident in many ways that this must apply to the whole self, not just our spiritual religious dimensions. Number two, that we are a one being, but composed of many parts. And each part, although it has its own function, really depends on the other parts for its full expression. And as a being here of composed of many parts and made in the image of likeness of God, we depend on those parts becoming that being so that we can follow not only God's design, but for God's call for us. As the parts in the fourth aspect of our framework here come together, what we find, though, is that we really are composed of four broad dimensions. The social dimension, which is in the conduit form, the psychological dimension in the conscious form, the physical dimension in the concrete form, and the spiritual dimension in the consubstantial form. And finally, what we round off when we think about all these premises is that they all have an impact on each other. Each dimension, each part impacts not only ourselves, but also each other. And just as people impact their communities, so the dimensions and the parts of who we are impact our whole being. Hope all of you have a great night. It's Jim Schrader, Living a Whole Christian Life. Thank you very much. Thank you.